The upcoming expositions surrounding hags have been written as if the players in this fictional campaign are reflecting upon their past events. These reflections are brought on by the surroundings of the players on their final approach to their ultimate foray into extraordinary danger. We at Encounter This would like to express a content and trigger warning for these expositions. They may contain dark themes and imagery, including, but not limited to, outdated cultural opinions, adult content, sexuality, child abuse, gore, and violence that may be uncomfortable for some audience members. Listener discretion is advised. I, Sir Dudley Ambrosius, do confess my greatest sins. Darkly hallow, I reflect upon the decisions I've made, the choices that most bereave me. It is I who must take more than partial responsibility for the events that have transpired. And it is I alone whose responsibility it is to carry out the mending of such tragedies. To the world and my fellowship, I now make known the burden I hold dearly, nimbly, and above all, aloft with delicate humility. Marching in tight formation, you all halt as Sir Dudley does. You turn your eyes to him as he speaks these words into the air around you, unprompted. Some of you face him directly, some with a sidelong look. You all say nothing. Your tongues are all caught in your collective throats, your breath as well, as if the black smoke had appeared yet again. Only this time, no smoke. You have in fact feared this moment, whether you knew it beforehand or not. This old paladin is surely disgraced, that has always been known. The exact details, however, especially those that would bring such a noble breed to fall, have eluded you thus far. Here and now, on this torrid terrain, in this treacherous territory, he begins to reveal his own tattering tribulation. He heaves a great sigh and begins to doff his heavy, roughshod armor. Damn it! <laughs> okay, now? Okay. I am your kin, let alone a son, were he still among the mortal living. A dark deal with a wicked witch. The blood of children wets every crevice of these hands, fraught to be coated further with that of demon fay. I, Sir Dudley Ambrosius, forsook my paladinic oath to save an old and frail man bravely bound by a duty I was too proud and weak to uphold myself. And an evil pact was struck. The waters upon which the wave guardian tread were to be calmed by the sea wenches and I was to serve as a so-called traveling companion. Of course, that old cretinous green-skinned hextress was not to be trusted. And I was foolhardy enough to believe my own charisma would match her evil-drenched lies. 
Images you thought your imaginations could never conjure up now whirl around your minds. You can't help but picture the sickly events your companion describes, every detail reflecting the horrors that preceded where you now stand. Imaginings now no longer reliant on actual imagination. Every characteristic of your mind's own depictions punctuated by the growing aggression and ravenous rage building in Sir Dudley's voice. For decades she rode atop me as her swine-plagued mount. I could not resist her bidding, my own free will freely given up. I watched as the troubled waters that were to be stripped from my father's path ripple forward with ship-wrenching wave after sail-tearing squall. What's more, in my powerless vigil, I stood by and witnessed holy relics defaced by monsters. Innocence dragged into the depths of their coven lair. Children devoured and then rebirthed before my arid, uncrying eyes. All while my own youth passed me by within my hideous form. Wasted. So many victims. I, Sir Dudley Ambrosius, am victim. I am villain. My death for remission. But not until the grandmother's life is taken as payment for so many unlawful deaths. For wretched rearing of demon spawn. For ugly desecration of nature and innocence. As the final piece of his armor hits the ground, Sir Dudley loses his presence of mind. He channels divinity and casts dreadful aspect on everyone around him. Roll wisdom saving throws. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Uh, we'd like to throw out a big thank you to two of our close friends, Ali Ingram and Pascal Belzil. Belzil? Belzil. Belzil. I never know how to say his goddamn last name. God, He's I hope French. that's right. <laughs> He's French. Um, yeah, big thanks to them for lending their voice and uh, creativity to the expositions uh, that I had written. Um, super happy. Was super pumped to, to work with them. We, we banged it up pretty quick and it, it was wicked. Yeah, we think they did an amazing job. Yeah, so good. Yeah, totally amateur, like this whole podcast, and it's super fun to, to do and put together. Also, a big thanks to uh, Strange Fellows Brewing. Strange Fellows, uh, you know, supplying a few beers for us to, to cover Haguary. Um, always appreciate it. It's a good little motivator. Yeah, that was the super, super stick. cool. Yeah. yeah. To change things up, we're just going to plug our Patreon up front real quick. You can join us at Encounter This Pod uh, on Patreon, where we have a couple of tiers available. The first is a, is a $1 tier where you just uh, let us know that you like the show. Um, then we have a five dollar tier where you get a handwritten thank you letter from me. Uh, I'm James. If you, <laughs> in case you can't tell by the the voices yet, uh, you're gonna hand. If you sign up for five dollar tier twice, you can get a left handed written one from me. Yeah, and then try and translate it. It'll, it'll be about as good. 
uh, as well as access to a private Discord channel. Uh, and then we have our $10 tier where you can actually suggest a creature that we, we cover and then you'll get your name plugged in the episode as well as the handwritten thank you letter and access to the private Discord. And if you, uh, you subscribe at any level, well, you'll have access to our show notes. So you can see kind of how we organize our thoughts for preparing for each one of these episodes. And They're slowly getting more and more organized. Yeah, um, organized and... <laughs> <laughs> organized in air quotes i think but uh, it would it would mean a lot to us and you know maybe you'll even get a shout out on the show if you're our first patreon that's not me so <laughs> thank you thanks <laughs> we hope you enjoyed night hags good day creatures and welcome to another episode of encounter this the final episode in haguary i am your co-host freeman adopted the darkness Iston. And with him, as always, is his trusty sidekick, James, born in the darkness, Kid. And we will be discussing night hags, real-world lore of hags, uh, mechanics, and doing a, a bit of a, a rehash and relook at all of the hags covering various topics. But starting off, we will cover night hag lore and mechanics. Uh, a lot of this information, again, is being pulled from the Monster Manual, pages 176 through 179. And Volo's Guide to Monsters, pages 52 through 62, and 159 and 160. Big thank you to Volo for putting this all together for us. Real champ. Real champ, that guy. Um, so, tell me about Night Hag lore, Freeman. So, Night Hag lore, uh, I'm going to read this directly from the Monster Manual. Sly and subversive, Night Hags want to see the virtuous turn to villainy. Love turned into obsession kindness turned to hate, devotion to disregard, and generosity to selfishness. Night hags take perverse joy in corrupting mortals. And just to be clear, that's selfishness, not shelfishness, like I said. <laughs> Canadiana coming through once again. Um, I decided to, to read that verbatim because it is exactly the words needed to describe what we've been saying about hags this whole time. They want all of, all of them want these things. Some of them want them in various degrees in certain, you know, certain environments uh, and affecting certain creatures maybe. But this, I think perfectly describes all hags and what their sort of loose goal is in when it comes to corruption. Yeah, it really does seem to nicely sum up everything we've been trying to sum up at the end of every hag episode we've done <laughs> yeah, so far. It is the perfect description, in my opinion. Um, the most standout feature of a night hag is that it used to be a fae creature. It used to be from the Feywild. But their foulness, as it's uh, quoted, saw them exiled out of the Feywild and into Hades a long time ago. Eventually, they degenerated into fiends and spread across the lower plains. They have dark blue or purple-black skin, light-colored eyes, and thin, curving horns on their head. And they are stout in their build, unlike the usual emaciated nature. Um, they are only medium uh, in size and not large and bulky like the anise. So, uh, we have three hags that are... You know, the emaciated, thin, and grotesque look. We have the Anisag who's large and bulky. And this one is a little bit more stout in her build. Now, they are soul mongers. Um, while a human creature sleeps, they can ethereally straddle them and intrude upon their dreams. 
they fill the victim's head with doubts and fears in hopes of tricking them into performing evil acts when they wake up. A night hag continuously visits said humanoid over and over until it eventually expires in its sleep. If she successfully drives her victim to commit evil deeds, she can trap its soul in a soul bag upon its death and transport it to Hades. It's like the worst kind of handy adversary. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, a creature with true sight can spot the ethereal hag straddling her victim. Uh, true sight we, we discussed in our bonus episode, but I, I'll, I'll run through it, it real quick. may not be out yet. <laughs> so, fair enough. Um, I don't know when that's going to launch. Yeah, but uh, I'll, I'll go through true sight real quick. Uh, a monster with true sight can, out to a specific range, see in normal and, and magical darkness, see invisible creatures and objects, automatically detect visual illusions, and succeed on saving throws against them, and perceive the original form of a shape changer or a creature that is transformed by magic. Furthermore, the monster can see into the ethereal plane within the same range. So can you talk about Hades at all? Where Where is that in the... Uh, planar alignment. I, again, you know more about that than I do. I I, I don't actually know. I think know. Hades is just uh, it's is, in the, it's in the lower planes. I know that. Um, let me is see. it is it one of the nine hells? No, it's not. No, uh, I got a planar map on my drive. Let me see. Let me pull that up. So Hades is a true neutral evil plane. Uh, it consists of three layers: Onius, Niflheim, and Pluton. Uh, it is also described as the gray waste and also called the glooms where the realm is devoid of emotion hope and peace hmm. gray land gray sky no sun no moon no breaks to the monotone so yeah this is crazy yeah uh any creatures venturing here would feel the drain of emotions leaving only sad sadness and defeatism oh wow brutal yeah this place sucks <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd say. <laughs> um, I I don't really want to dig any further because uh, I think we could do a cool Patreon-only show at some point on, oh, yeah. on the planes. I'd love to. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Because uh, we both clearly don't know what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> but we want to, friends. We want to. <laughs> so want to. That's why we're doing this show is to learn, yeah. learn more and yeah. teach it. Yeah, 100%. So mechanically... How is the Night Hag different from the other four hags that we've seen so far? So mechanically, we're looking at a CR5 creature. Uh, again, so, so, we're, so we're going for, we're going down? In we're going CR. down here, yeah. Okay. Uh, the, um, we sort of went with Night Hag at the end, if I remember correctly, because it's the only one that's not a fae. Uh, and then I ended Spoilers. up... Spoilers. Oh, I already said it. Oh. <laughs> uh, they are fiend. They are neutral evil. Um, just like the Green Hag. They're the only... Uh, or the only two hags that are not chaotic evil. They're the only one that uh, they're the only one that's a fiend. And I ended up writing the exposition um, with a night hag at the end in mind, Be especially since we discussed things like grandmothers and lairs yeah. and that sort of thing, and how not every creature has to be the CR in this book. Especially when it comes to hags, there's a lot of room to play with uh, with their power. Yeah, we actually threw a, a poll up on Twitter uh, a couple of months back uh, while we were preparing to record this suite. Uh, trying to find out what people's favorite hag was, and the night hag won by a lens. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, like, just, awesome. Just an absolute mile. That's wicked. That's wicked. It's kismet, then. That's awesome. Um, now, they have a CR 
five, uh, they have 17 AC, natural armor again, so pretty much in the same wheelhouse as, as the average. They have 112 HP. Is that the highest we've seen so far? I think that is the highest. It's higher than the Anatag, which was oddly lower than the Green Hag. Yeah, and it's um, definitely higher than the Burr and the... Um, and the Sea, for and sure. The sea, for sure, so, yeah. Uh, definitely looking like a, a sturdy creature. They speak Abyssal, Common, Infernal, and Primordial. Primordial. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's their spin on the... Well, I guess Primordial is the first language. Right, yeah. Um, uh, I w- it's, it's cool that they all speak different elemental languages. Absolutely, yeah. It's very nifty. It seems fitting again to have the Nahig at the end who's speaking Primordial, the root of all of those. Yeah. Um, and they, the Infernal and Abyssal are, of course, the languages of the Nine Hells and the Abyss, respectively. Yeah, so it, it makes sense that they would have that. Uh, it's a bit strange they don't have Sylvan, although I guess most, not all of them had Sylvan. No, it's just the Anisag. Uh, and the Green. Oh. Yeah. Sylvan, Orin, Aquan. None of them spoke Terran. Or Ignan. Or Ignan. Huh. Yeah, we had Draconic thrown on there. A couple of them had Giant. Yeah, I mean that, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. But yeah. I, but I guess okay. it's probably probably uh, mostly based on huh. where their environment usually is. Most yeah. of them are on the material plane, despite the fact that they are Fae. And, uh, and the uh, uh, Nighthag would also probably be from the lower planes, but probably exists on the material plane most of the time, especially at least when you're encountering them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, that being said, uh, just uh, like usual, they have uh, skills increased to, uh, for their deception, insight, perception, and stealth. Uh, they have resistance to cold and fire, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical that aren't silvered, specifically. So they actually have weakness to silver. Weird. Yeah. I want, I'm kind of curious if it has anything to do with being a fiend in some respect, um, but I haven't dove into that creature category very much. I haven't come across that in my travels either. Mm-hmm. In any case, they are immune to being uh, they are immune to being charmed. That's the first condition immunity. I think only condition immunity we've come across. And they do have dark vision up to 120 feet. They have innate spellcasting. Uh, again, charisma is their modifier. They have a 16 charisma, and DC is 13. They, at will, can detect magic and launch magic missile. And twice per day, they can use plane shift on themselves only. Rave, enfeeblement, and sleep. Now, sleep's pretty important because it ties straight into their ability to haunt someone's dreams. Yeah. Now, they also have magic resistance, which gives them advantage in saving throws versus spells and other magical effects. I like that planar shift ability. I don't know much about it, to be honest. You essentially just shift into another plane. Okay. I yeah. would imagine they, they do it to only themselves, and they probably, again, go to the ethereal plane to uh, use their ability to it. Uh, yeah, so one of the things I've learned about night hags is that they're particularly slippery creatures, and it's because of this planar shift ability, yeah. because they can just not be there anymore. Right. Um, that, that makes them quite the opponent, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's that's why uh, that's why I was a little confused when I saw the CR go down, is because of that ability in particular. Mm-hmm. Now, for attacks, they have a claw attack, uh, plus six to hit, 2d8, plus four slashing. And they also have the ability to change shape. Uh, now, this acts as a self-polymorph, and they could turn into a smaller, medium female humanoid, and back again. The stats remain the same when transformed. Equipment worn and carried is not transformed and uh, reverts back to true form upon death. So pretty standard. Yeah, that's pretty standard. They also have an etherealness ability. Magically enters the ethereal and material planes or vice versa. Must be carrying a heartstone to do this. Yeah, and there, there's another escape technique right there. Right, so it's outside of her twice per day. Um, well, it's, uh, I don't think the ethereal plane counts as a plane. When we're talking planar shift, we're talking like 
moral to the abyss. Oh, okay. We're sure. talking like yeah, yeah. proper and that's great the spell. wheel cosmology. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It's a pretty low level mm. spell too, I think. Yeah. They also have uh, Nightmare Haunting. So this is the mechanical element of her uh, invasion of dreams. Once per day, while, while on the ethereal plane, she can magically touch a sleeping person. As long as contact is consistent, the target has dreadful visions. If the visions last for one hour, the target gains no benefits from resting, and its HP max is reduced by 1d10. If the target's max HP is reduced to zero via this effect, they die crazy yep. and i lied plane shift is a level seven spell level seven spell that's huge <laughs> yeah. you and up to eight willing creatures are transported Whoa. to a different plane of existence this is a cr5 creature with a twice per day level seventh level spell that's balls yeah and they just fucking yeah. poof they mm-hmm. just nightcrawler to a different plane of existence <laughs> wow anyway uh this nightmare hunting they reduce your maximum HP to zero. You die. If a target dies and was evil, its soul is trapped in the night hag's soul bag. The hit point maximum reduction lasts until it is removed via the greater restoration spell oh, or similar magic. That is deep, too. That's yeah. not normally how those work, either. Uh, the spell's protection from good and evil and magic circle can prevent the contact of the night hag. Oh, okay. So those are a bit lower, and so it's a preventative measure. But what we're looking at is... Like powerful magic in a, in a low CR creature. Yeah. Now these aren't really combat things. That's probably why the CR is so low. But this 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 creature is affecting you outside of combat. That's the idea. It's either you or an NPC of some kind, um, which is nice adventure hook. It's the hook, yeah. hook I went with with the exposition. I can definitely see why people enjoy these the most so far. These are definitely the most robust that we've seen for sure. Uh, and then we'll get into, they have two, there's two items that have been, have been mentioned so far, the Heartstone and the Soul Bag. Yeah, so take me on a journey into the Heartstone. The Heartstone is a lustrous black gem that allows the Night Hag to become ethereal. Touching the stone will cure any disease. The fuck? Crafting a Heartstone takes 30 days. So if it's in your possession of a PC, just touching it will cure a disease. And that's not linked directly to the Night Hag? Not at all. There so, was nothing in, in in the books that I found that says, even when the Night Hag dies, that the, the magic is gone. It Jesus. just specifies that and calls it a day. So it's, wow. Yeah. That's... I want to know how to create a Hearthstone. Man, that's an adventure hook in and of itself. Acquire the Hearthstone of a Night Hag to yeah. cure your, your, your sickly father or something. And a plague yeah, going a, across the barren lands. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, they also have the soul bag, a black sack made of stitched flesh. Gross. Can hold the soul of it. And an racist. E- <laughs> uh, can hold the soul of an evil humanoid killed by the hag's nightmare haunting skill. The bag takes seven days and a human sacrifice to craft whose flesh is used to make it. Only one soul can be held at a time. These are the Night Hag specialty items. If one were to become lost, the Night Hag will go to great lengths to retrieve them. And no other hag can take advantage of these items. Only they can craft them and use them. Similar to the Grey Staff and the Iron Tower. Okay, so the PCs can't use a Hearthstone. Uh, well, they do. it does specifically say... Okay, they are Night Hag items I put only in there okay. myself. It doesn't say Night Hag only. Gotcha. I would, I would imagine that uh, it's the same case as the Grey Staff and the Iron Token where no other hag can use them the same way a Night Hag can. But I think, well, I, at least uh, as a Bird DM myself... The specifically states that even the PCs can't use the Grey right, Staff. Right, yeah. So. Uh, but this does not. 
It simply says, straight from the book, the touch of a heartstone also cures any disease. See, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that item a lot. I like the idea of the PC stumbling upon this dead and decayed night hag, and they just find this fucking yeah. skin bag and <laughs> gross. heartstone. Gross. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, from there, we can take a look at the regional effects of a night hag's lair. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching a night hag's lair like our fictional group of PCs. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what I can expect. Well, the shadows seem abnormally gaunt and sometimes move as if they were alive. Creatures will be randomly transported to harmless demiplane with shadowy forms, waxy corpses, and cackling. They remain here for a minute or two and then are transported back. Intelligent creatures see hallucinations of dead loved ones, including friends, family members, and even themselves. These hallucinations litter the area and dissipate upon contact. So you're telling me that they saved all the good shit for the night hag. <laughs> it seems that way. I mean, again, it's it's not too much different from the others where it really is just flavor material, but there's just that. There's so much flavor here. Yeah, they just, it, they really somebody really the wrote the night hag yeah. and then they just interned the other two, <laughs> other four. I am man, yeah. <laughs> so, so sorry to whoever wrote those. We don't, we're, we're not... Sorry. <laughs> we are sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry? We apologize. We're, we're sorry. <laughs> we don't mean to pick on you. It's just, this one seems like it was really well done. We're going to assume your hands were tied. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're no. going to blame Wizard and whatever coast he lives on. <laughs> Lair actions. One creature that can be seen within 120 feet must make a charisma saving throw, DC 15, or be banished to a demiplane prison. Escape is a charisma check contested by the night hag. On success, the creature escapes the demiplane. Otherwise, the effect ends on initiative count 20 on the next round. The hag targets up to three creatures within 60 feet as well, and each makes a constitution saving throw, DC 15, or is flung 30 feet through the air. If a creature hits a solid object, it takes 1d6 bludgeoning damage for every 10 feet fallen or moved. So you're telling me... (laughs) They saved all the cool shit for the night hack. <laughs> they really did, man. They really, truly did. Both of those actions are awesome. Both of them are wicked. Yeah, like why Why doesn't the burr hag have a lair action there where she can just freeze targets in a wall of ice? Like, right, yeah, and it lasts till initiative count 20. Yeah, night hag's like, no, nah, fuck you in this plane. Like, Everyone go look at night hags and turn your other hags into a night hag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just dumb deal. Start stealing shit from this one. It's awesome. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's great. A banished to a demiplane, flung across the room. Yeah, that doesn't blow my mind, but uh, it's but it's 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 but it's a real it's utility. Yeah, but you, there's it's, also it's potential a real action. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if a creature hits a solid object, I would I would count another PC as a solid object. That's for sure. If the one in the front failed the con save, but the one in the back didn't, they're gonna smash into each other. Yeah, or throw know? them up at the roof. You know, thirty. Yeah. That's three d six day fall. You Absolutely. Know? Like, yeah. Crazy. Pretty great man. So, yeah, I guess we're going to talk, move right into uh, Haglor IRL, as the kids say. We, we've been we've been saving this. <laughs> we've been saving this. Absolutely saving this. This is episode five, where we haven't touched on it at all, not even a little bit. There, there's probably a good reason that we're saving this. It's a, uh, it is a treasure trove that I, I had yeah. to dig through. It was... <laughs> you know, I, I think I would say that in general, I kind of always assumed in our previous episodes until now that I knew at least a little bit 
in the IRL world. You do. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I do in uh, this one. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, the, I know yeah. one thing for sure that comes to mind is going to be a Hansel and Gretel reference, hundred percent. Obviously, maybe you know some uh, Wizard of Oz or something like that. Yeah. Um, but as under the name Hag itself, I feel like I know nothing. Well, we'll we'll get into that. Okay. But Hag actually comes from the German word Hexa, which is ultimately of unknown origin, but it means witch. Okay, cool. So. Hexa um, spelt H E X E. Cool. All right. Like yeah. a hex with, with yeah, an extra exactly. vowel on the end. Yeah, yeah they cool. all come from the same Sweet. word, uh, Proto German meaning meaning witch, which seems to be a catch all for ugly old women with malicious intent or desires. Okay. So hags come from folklore, obviously. They seem to be specific to Anglophonic folklore, the name hag. Mm hmm. So the night hag or the old hag is where the where the word comes from. It is a supernatural creature that's been used to explain sleep paralysis over time. So every culture has a word for old hag or every something to explain sleep paralysis. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the old folktale is the old hag sits on the sleeper's chest and sends nightmares to them. Oh, yeah. When they awoke, they found that they wouldn't be able to breathe or move for a short period of time, which is also where the term hagridden comes from. Right. Or haggard. Yeah. Great. Oh, Haggard. Yeah. No way. Oh, that's pretty cool. Now, it's, uh, I did not expect that connection to the sleep paralysis at all, but that is really cool. But I have heard stories from people where they, they, you know, they have that sleep paralysis and they were so sure that there was some sort of spirit or entity sitting on them, like pressuring their chest, yeah, stopping them from moving and breathing. Yeah. So... You, you can find this on Wikipedia, but almost every culture that you can think of has a myth or a legend for sleep paralysis. Mm. But the Scandinavian Anglophonic one is the night hag. Okay. So hags appear in many stories across all cultures, but again, most of them are, are Anglo-Saxon. Hags appear mainly in, in Anglo-Saxon folklore, and we'll touch on a few of them today. The Mara, the Peg Prowler, the Kaliak Barak, the Black Anis, and the... Um, you actually nailed it. Elphaba Throp? Oh, yeah, that one. That's the one I know. You'll, you'll know when we get there. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that mystery for you until the end. Please do. So the night hag is, is a variation of the Mara, which is the German Scandinavian night hag. Mm -hmm. So in, in Norse mythology... There's a Yinglinga saga from the 13th century. Yinglinga? Yeah. Yinglinga. Perfect. Yeah. Or King Vandlandi Svegogesen. King, King, oh, yeah, look at your notes. King Vandlandi Svegosen. Svegosen. Of Uppsala. Yeah, of Uppsala. Lost his wife to Amara, which is a spirit. That was conjured by a Finnish sorceress, Hulda, Hulda, uh, and she was hired by the king's abandoned wife, Drifa. Okay. So. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really following, but okay. Uh, so the, this this sorceress, Hulda, mm -hmm. was hired by the king's abandoned wife. He abandoned his wife, uh, okay. Drifa, yeah. to go sit on his chest and kill him in his sleep. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Now, yeah. now I'm getting it. Okay. And that's how that's how he died. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, in Poland, the Mara are connected to the demon of winter, and it could be the soul of a person who was wronged or someone who died without confession, mm -hmm. or the seventh daughter who had their name mispronounced during a baptism. Ooh, 
Ooh, seventh daughter, you say? Yeah, I thought that was very specific. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that right there, I'm immediately going to what we just we we previously talked about the the uh, I can't remember the exact detail now, but it's it was uh, the the superstition that Hags believed in the the, the seventh daughter of the yeah. seventh daughter, you know, kind of thing was the perfect per- creep, uh, creature to corrupt or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, might be a, a deep cut reference there. I think so. Um, M- mispronounced during baptism. Oh, it's Jesus, so specific. <laughs> Jesus, pun not intended. Uh, but that's you know, imagine. Yeah. Imagine someone just can't say your name and you get doomed for it. Yeah, so there, there are a couple of warding practices in, in Poland, Polish culture specifically, uh, including drinking coffee grounds, sleeping with an item made of leather, or inviting the spirit out for breakfast. Drinking coffee grounds, mm-hmm. sleeping with leather, or inviting them to breakfast. Weird. Okay. Yep. So random, it feels like. <laughs> okay, it, it really. Yeah. Those are just my the highlights of that list. Yeah, there, there are much, much more out there. All right, uh, and they're also found in Czech and Hungarian beliefs as well. Okay, but I have a, a prayer here from uh, Franz Felix Albert Kuhn. Uh, it's a German prayer uh, to ward off sleep paralysis or the night hag. Mm-hmm. And here I am lying down to sleep. No nightmare shall plague me until they have swum through all the waters that flow upon the earth and counted all the stars that appear in the firmament. Thus help me, God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay. I, I don't really understand that, so if somebody's got a religious background, feel free to uh, shout it out, but it's very clearly some... I, I mean, to me, it's um, having grown up quite religious. Uh, it's just a really, really poetic hyperbole. You know, until they have swum through all the waters that flow upon the earth and counted all the stars uh, that appear in the firmament, it's it's uh, impossible. It's a it's a, it's per, like you know sort of that that uh, strive for perfection. You know, no no nightmare shall plague me until until they're capable of doing this first, which is impossible. Okay. So they will never do it. Uh, it reminds me of a of a uh, an analogy that someone once told me that time to God is like an iron orb. The size of the earth exists, and once every million years, a dove flies by and uh, scrapes its wing on the orb. And once that orb is now is depleted from the friction and the wearing down, then time stops, and that's how time God perceives time. It's it's like impossible to fathom kind of idea. Uh, I very much remember that analogy. Which uh, God? Uh, well, yeah, good question. This in this case, it would have been the Catholic God. <laughs> so, but uh, if I remember my last crusade correctly, <laughs> they're called Jehovah. Yeah, yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> uh, but in any case, I, it's just yeah. To that to was stood out very starkly to me that it's uh, just one of those very classic, um, you know, make something impossible to achieve, and you know, and then I would be protected, or or it's a goal of mine, or, or something along those lines. Gotcha. Yeah. Some something a, a way to really poetically explain what we can explain. That that sounds like old timey people. Oh yeah, <laughs> big time. So the next is the peg prowler, who is uh, very clearly the basis for a sea hag, like very very clearly. Okay. So they're from English folklore, who inhabit the river trees, which is a real river in Durham, Yorkshire, uh, Northern England. Mm-hmm. They're very similar to the Grindylow, which is found in Lancashire, and Jenny Greenteeth from Liverpool, and Nelly Longarms from Deep Ponds. Okay. I think Deep Ponds is near Lancashire, or is sorry near Leicester. Leicester. Okay. It's pronounced Leicester, if I remember my football <laughs> Lester, correctly. Leicester, yes. 
Uh, similar to the Grundy, though. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. all these creatures drag children in who get too close to the water's edge. Mm-hmm. And they lure people down to the river to be devoured. Uh, a guy called Elliot O'Donnell writes the Peg Prowler as a woman who lures men and boys down by pretending to be a beautiful woman with long green hair. Okay. So they're said to have like blue skin, mm-hmm. greenish fingernails, like all that. That I want to say haggard. Um, that, the, the, the decrepit, <laughs> malformed appearance yeah, yeah, all yeah, takes yeah, place yeah. in this. And you we'll, say it happens the river trees. Yeah. Um, they are. It's a river. Okay. It's a river. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I was thinking like Lady in the Lake almost for a second there, and, and some sort of pond, but it's it's a river inhabitant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're they're all river denizens. Water. Okay. Yeah. And we'll have a link to Elliot O'Donnell's book, Ghosts, Helpful and Harmful, in the show notes. <laughs> Helpful and Harmful? Yeah, I kind of really want this book. Yeah, <laughs> I immediately want it as well. Yeah. Uh, and then that brings us to the one that I'm going to pro- keep pronouncing wrong. I, mm. I, I pronounced it wrong in the Burhag, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong here, and that's the Kaliak Barach. Yeah, I, 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 uh, one of my good friends that I, I met in the last yeah, year or so when I was in Australia, um, Owen, he taught me a lot about the Irish and he's fluent in the Irish language and it's insane. Like you just, you just can't pronounce it right. <laughs> it's, if you don't know it, you can't pronounce it. I guarantee that's just insanely wrong. Yeah, probably. In, in the greatest and worst way at the same time. Yeah. So it's a, it's a Gaelic, um, but that Gale, Gale oversees Irish, Scottish and Manx in this, mm-hmm. in this particular context. Sure. Uh, that is a divine hag. It's a creator and Creator, weather, and ancestral deity. Okay. So they have um, a domain over all of those things. Right. Uh, in Scotland, she's known as Bira, Queen of the Winter, and is said to be the mother of all goddesses and gods. Hmm. And Kaliach actually means old woman or hag. So hopefully somebody can send in a recording of them pronouncing that word properly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the old, so we got old, old woman or hag is the first part of the name. Yeah. And the other part is referencing her being a goddess uh, or a mother of goddesses and gods. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I, it seems weird. It seems a bit strange that the, uh, it governs, it's divine and it's, it governs creation and ancestry. Weather with the Burhag makes sense. Yeah. I suppose they're very weather, weather themed in, in 5e, but... Yeah, and I'm not sure how those domains break down over the different areas of Gale, or if it's just all of them are these things. It seems that Bira is all of these things. There's the most information about her, but I don't I don't want to dig too deep on the the one of the five hags. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next one is the Black Anis, um, which is it, I found no real information to discern that this is the basis for the Anis Hag. Mm-hmm. And it took me, this one took me the longest to find, actually. So when when I read this to you, let me know if if it strikes home with you, because you okay. did all the research on the yeah. Anis Hags. So I'm prepared to be corrected on this one. Uh, this is from, the Black Anis is from the English English folklore again, from the Dane Hills in Leicester. Uh, they are blue-faced hag with iron claws and a taste for flesh. They are said to live in a cave with a great oak tree as the entrance, and lures unsuspecting children in to eat them and tan their skin for leather. It's <laughs> bang on. Yeah. Okay. Good. It's bang on. And, I mean, the iron claws, 
hundred percent blue face. Like I, I believe I was, they were specifically described as black, black or dark skinned or like bruised, bruised. Yeah. Maybe that was even the night hag, but they all definitely the night hag and the, and the anise hag have very similar sort of hues to their skin. Um, in that the bluey, purpley, bruised kind of color. Taste for flesh, hundred percent. Like they, uh, the the reference to children, like that was that was their of the five hags. The the anise hag's main shtick was. Like they would, you know, lure anyone in, but they preferred children and they preferred the flesh of children and they specifically preferred their supple skin to make supple leather. Yeah. It's, you know, I remember putting emphasis on that and very much, it's very much in the um, uh, exposition that I wrote as well. Uh, so that, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a pretty hard rip and, and, and carbon copy. Yeah. yeah. So the black anus actually isn't registered under witch or crone or hag on Wikipedia at all. Oh no. Um, most of this information came from a third party website, but then eventually I, I did go back and find it on, on some of it on Wikipedia. Um, mostly I just use Wikipedia for the references. They've got a really good referencing system. Sure. So this was first published in black Annie's Bauer clothes country folklore in 1895. <laughs> by what is just called the Folklore Society. Okay. So there was no no real credit to reference to that. Yeah. So this is... Um, Black Annie's Bower Clothes yeah. Country Folklore. What's yeah. a Bower Clothes? I have no idea. Weird. Okay. Yeah, so I, I obviously I couldn't find anything, <laughs> any real references uh, to the Anisig. Uh, the Burhag will link to Donald A. McKenzie's Myths of Crete and Pre-Hellenistic Europe. Uh, but for the Anis Hag, I, I haven't been able to find anything. I'm sure we could find something in um, another one that we'll have linked, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, Catherine Briggs, an encyclopedia of fairies, hobgoblins, brownies, bogies, and other supernatural creatures. Nice. I'm I'm not sure we're going to be able to find this one mm-hmm. uh, for an affiliate link, but I'm going to track down a copy of this so we can have it in the office because awesome. it sounds amazing. This, this has been linked in a lot of the research we've done, mm-hmm. so I think they're... Catherine Brigg might be the authority on the subject. Sweet. And then we're going to go on to the green hag. So like the... Is there a particular reason you save a green hag for last? Yeah, because okay. like the Anis hag, this one gave me no little trouble. Okay. So the green hag doesn't exist. This is not a thing they pulled from culture. Okay. So I looked at... The green hag is very clearly based off a witch. Mm-hmm. So I thought about doing Hansel and Gretel. It seemed kind of basic. So what I pulled from was the first written rendition of a green hag that I could find, and that was from uh, L. Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz of 1900. Mm-hmm. So the, grim, the green hags either come from Hansel and Gretel, from the Grimm Brothers Collected Fairy Tales and, and other before that, or it's Elphaba, Elphaba Throp, which is the name of the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm-hmm. West. Uh, and a more detailed account is, of course, presented in Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Wish of the West by Gregory Maguire. 1995. <laughs> Circa 1995. We will actually have links to both those books. I'm sure yeah. most of our listeners have read or seen or done something with mm-hmm. Wicked. I, I, before this, I did not know it was related to The Wizard of Oz at all. I mean, the, the, when I think of a green witch, the first thing that comes to mind is The Wicked Witch of the West. Hundred percent. Yeah, and since then I just published. also just think classic witch. But then you know, when, once we were researching all this, I genuinely started to think about what the uh, the old woman from Hansel and Gretel would have looked like. I always just assumed she was, you know, probably not pretty or probably that haggard, you know, uh, traditional ugly look, if you will. But 
Yeah. Uh, but uh, very human looking. For sure. Uh, to, to bring the kids in. And, and they were. There were a lot of depictions of them with um, bulbous noses and, and warts, but that was about the only mm. distinction. Yeah, but no green skin. No green skin. Yeah. Some scraggly hair in, in some depictions. There were, there were some ancient ones. Um, we'll also link to uh, a recent episode of Myths and Legends by Jason Weiser. I, I call that out on the show all the time, but he recently did an episode on Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. Not super witchy, to be honest. Yeah. It's it's more of a precautionary tale. It takes place during a famine, and that's what it's about, is two parents who essentially try their best to abandon their children, so they've got two less oh, mouths yeah. to feed. Oh, yeah. Brutal. So, the witch, witch lures them in, and then it's really about Gretel's suffering compared to Hansel, it really seems okay. to be the theme. Sure. So... That's the reason I didn't go that way. But mm-hmm. Hansel and Gretel, of course, are at the top of our honorable mentions, as is the Baba Yaga from Russian folklore, mm. the Black Lady of Bradley Woods, a Buhag from Gula culture, which I believe is African North American. Oh, okay. Yeah. That one was real challenging for me to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lilith of uh, the Talmud, uh, specifically the Babylonian Talmud. Okay. Which is the central text of Rabbanic Judaism and the source of their religious law. I spent like three hours just researching the Talmud when, oh, yeah, don't you? when I went down this rabbit hole. <laughs> the old Wikipedia hole? Yeah. Yeah. Love that shit. So I, I would actually love to, to call out to our listeners, if you've got any ideas of representations of hags in mm-hmm. pop culture or regular culture, please tweet at us at Encounter This or Encounter Pod on Twitter. Uh, I, I want to know. I, I want to see what you guys come up with. Mm. And on that note, we're coming to the the final close of the Hag Suite. That's the S-U-I-T-E Suite. Uh, brought to you by, proudly, Strange Fellows Brewing. And their beautiful, dark, sessionable, smooth, black male Northwest milk stout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't thank Strange Fellows enough. We're going to keep plugging them even when they don't actually sponsor the oh, yeah, show. Uh, yeah. I'm going to keep hounding the rep to, for a few more four packs here and there and uh yeah. and, uh but uh it will remain the thematic beer of the of of encounter this I would they, imagine. They've been absolutely fantastic. <laughs> uh and while we're shouting people out, I do want to shout out Jesse Boros of the DMs of Vancouver. He is our first fan to throw in with a story about hags. Amazing. Sweet. Okay, well, so we're we're about to approach uh the final part of this suite, and it is homebrew, and it is talking about differences and similar and similarities in the lore and the mechanics, and just all of that. We're, we've been just like the the real life lore. We've been saving that to the end, um, but right in there is experiences, and yeah, this is um, that's awesome. I'm super excited. Yeah. What has he got? So what Freeman really means is it's it's about to go off the rails here. It's uh, it's going to be real casual real conversation casual. here. <laughs> this is very very much less scripted. Yeah. yeah. So Jesse is a, is a dungeon master as well, and he is a PC called Cadia, who built into their backstory that green hag uh, that happened to be a member of a coven, Cadia uh, killed mostly through luck, and the event instilled a uh, the event instilled hatred for Faye that radiated out of Katie at all times. So I'm not sure what her class or her race was. So at one point, uh, the PCs encountered an Oni and it ended up murdering one of the party, actually. So the rest of the party decided to take that fallen PC to their final resting place, wherein Katie decided to pursue the Oni. And after months of tracking it on her own, she rejoined the party and led them on a quest to kill it. By then, the Oni had taken notice of Katie and the party, and had actually formed an alliance with the rest of the hags in the coven, 
and they brought back the dead green hag as a ghoul. Wow. Yeah, so their encounter before the coven was a ghoul and an oni. A ghoul green hag and an oni. Wow. That's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we went down a rabbit hole after that just talking about like how, how fucking awesome this game is. When right. <laughs> homebrew a ghoul hag. The shit you can do. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's just like reminds me that, you know, I've told you before and I'm sure I've said it on the podcast here that the homebrew druid vampire that I did. Yeah. It, it was outrageous. It was um, against every rule in the book, it seemed, but it, it turned out to be really fun. Rule of cool, man. Rule, rule of, of cool. cool. All right. So um, let's touch on what we sort of remember and, and ref, uh, reflect on, on differences and similarities in the lore. Um, I think the first rule of Hags that we should just lay down at this point is don't. <laughs> <laughs> just, just don't. If they offer you something, don't take yeah. it. If, if a DM offers you a side quest, <laughs> don't take it. Just don't. Don't interact. Just walk casually by. Ignore. Just, yeah, just really flub your DM's preparation by be like, nope, uh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, just good. take the night off. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. How do you imagine, let's go with Sea Hags to start. That's the first one we've covered. What do you imagine the circumstance in which Sea Hags would form a coven? What's, what's your go-to idea on that? So I like the idea of a sea hags forming a coven to either either keep something in or keep something out. So maybe in this case, it's they've created a, a trinity seal over the place in the earth where it connects to the elemental plane of water to seal out the leviathan. Maybe they want to raise a kraken to bring more ships down in a certain harbor or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, that that's kind of where I go for it. What what about yourself? I, I, I my my gut instinct went to the Kraken as well for sure. Uh, thinking about all of the things that they, you know, that Hags want to do is it is constant destruction and manipulation, right? And they seem to have no matter their CR, no matter uh, the position, they are apparently trying to have some sort of master plan at any given time. Now, when it comes to a coven, we have to remember that they get together against their own instincts so that they can achieve some sort of common goal. So I, li I love the idea that uh, they would, you know, find a way to bring the Kraken to sort of like, you know, really create a dangerous scene across, you know, the high seas yeah. and across the major trade routes. But what do they gain out of that? What What is their end goal? What, why have they brought themselves together is the real question. So I, which is, I don't have an answer to. I don't have an immediate instinctual answer to. Like, why would they form a coven to do this? What is it they hope to gain well, I think besides just destruction? Because one hag alone already yeah. wants that. They don't really need another one to like... Well, maybe it's a beautiful city on the seashore that they want to destroy. Like a, like a gilded oh, yeah, ancient okay. city sure. or... Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they just want to destroy everything. Actually, that's really good. Actually, I love the idea of um, maybe because sea hags hate beauty so much, much more so than the others, that maybe you have this extremely extravagant trade route across the seas where it's so successful um, and there's so much 
money and privilege and all that flowing that every ship that crosses those waters, the longer it goes, the more immaculate and beautiful they are. And what's, you know, and and it's frustrating this group of sea hags or these individual sea hags. The Panama Canal or the Dover Strait. (laughs) Yeah, they can't, they just can't, they can't handle it anymore. They they can't stand um, uh, this coming back and forth. Maybe there's mermaids, these beautiful mermaids and, you know, sort of coming along outside the ships and, and they just, they, they hate the idea of it so much. This, this success that's turned into beauty and culture and art that they have to band together to, to like, you know, really deal with the fact that they hate it. So what about, uh, green hags, green hag coven? What do you make, what makes you think they would form one? Green hags are a little bit weirder for me. So I, I have actually run a green hag coven before, mm-hmm. but it was a green hag coven missing a member and their goal was to resurrect another member. Oh, okay. So I think, I think based on what we've learned about green hag specifically, that they are the ones who truly love a bargain. They're the yeah. ones who really want to twist and, and bruise mortals and not on like a grand scale, but on mm-hmm. like, like a very, very micro scale. They want to take this one barren, and just twist and turn him till he wretches. Mm-hmm. I, I would argue that the night hag is on a similar level with yeah. with specificity of an individual, simply because of that whole invade their dreams and steal their soul kind of aspect. But but I agree with you as well. The green hag is um, it does it is much more bargain and scheming than the the other ones seem to be more specific in in their um, yeah they feel a little more isolated yeah they, like in their actual tasks and how they go about it like such as targeting children and making leather and that sort of thing where the green hag is it is really about the manipulation and the bargain yeah and it's yeah. it's really general all the all the lore in the green hag it can really be twisted and turned in every direction mm-hmm it's it's actually a wonder that they weren't the first hag. I imagine that a green hag coven, for me, would almost always be formed out of defense and almost never formed out of a common goal uh, for, or achievement, simply because they, if, if we're correct or we take that route, that they love that bargain and they're obsessed with it and they always want that manipulation they always want to like some find a way for someone to come to them and and really have the high ground i don't think they need another person for that uh i i think they wait i think they 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 lie in waiting for those opportunities and they plan ahead and they just they just wait for it happily they don't need to go out of their way to find uh, uh a challenge and a challenge that's hard enough for them to, uh, that they need help. They, instead, they lie in wait and let it come to them. But if something threatens them specifically, that's when they they take action and bring another hag into the situation. That's how I imagine the green hag. Yeah. Okay. If if you're gonna take the defensive position, I'll, I'll take the offensive position. I think. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> Strategist. <laughs> the only man in the room who's oh, read. Oh a good defense is a great offense. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm the only man in the room who's read the Art of War. <laughs> You're also a hockey fan. That is very, very correct. <laughs> very correct. How go, about that local sports team, anyway? Go Sharks. <laughs> controversial opinion of the podcast. <laughs> the, more controversial the fact that I don't like sports at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sure. I'm from Toronto. I live in Vancouver, and I root for a team in California. <laughs> Anyhow, so I think green hags could also 
take up a coven for an offensive position, but I think that would be a veiled offensive position. Maybe they're trying to manipulate somebody who has got way more power than they do, like the Lady of the Fey Courts or a dragon or uh, one of the ancient drow priestesses or something like that. And mm-hmm. they want to manipulate information out of them and they need the magic of all three of them. Yeah, okay, fair enough, yeah. I like that. I, I, I definitely wouldn't explore it myself. Yeah, I think uh, I would. But again, yeah. like you said, it would have to be out of desperation. That seems yeah. to be the key, sure. okay, yeah. the key yeah. pinnacle. Yeah. So like a dragon's moved into their forest and is eating all their children food. <laughs> <laughs> Not the children food. <laughs> okay, so let, let me put it to you like this. A green dragon moves into a forest and starts eating a bunch of horses. Oh, God. The local centaur group gets real mad (laughs) and then bargains with a green hag who then bargains with another two green hags to form a coven to kick out this realistically probably young dragon. Right. But she would have to do that in in such a way that she convinces the other green hags to be like, these centaurs have something that we can all use, but I need your help. Exactly. I don't want them to know I need your help. They think I can do it on my own, but... And they you need know, to think I can do it. What the centaurs have? What do you think the centaurs would have for them? Centaurs are also fake creatures, so they've lived for a long okay, time. Sure, so maybe yeah. it's maybe it's a map of the woods, or maybe it's where the uh, the Feywild touches in that forest. Okay, the easiest yeah. point of access. Sure. Maybe uh, it's where the satyrs live. I don't. I don't know. Maybe yeah, yeah. satyrs look like children. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's. I like that. I actually, I really like that. But they're put on the put on the offensive. Through the bargain. Yeah. Through the bargain. Yeah, I think that would be the only way to do it. Otherwise, yeah. it becomes a defensive game. Otherwise, they're protecting their forest from right. the dragon. Yeah, that's lovely. Uh, what about the Anis Hag? This big, <sighs> hulking, crushing hug hag. Why do you think they would form a coven? I think this is a weird one. Myself. Yeah, so out of all five of the hags, this is the only one I can't ever see myself choosing to run. Mm-hmm. I would really have to be pushed in in the right direction for this to come into play because it just doesn't it doesn't fit in my world nice mm-hmm. and easily. See, I would I would use the Anisag, but I feel like I would have a difficult time employing it in that very deep narrative way. I would probably and probably mistakenly employ it like it like it was just some big ogre creature. Mm. That's the, the on a mechanical level. That's how they function. Yeah, they are just beasts. They have a bit of it in an eight spellcasting, if I remember correctly. But they are just, you know, physically dominating. Yeah, and, they're the tanks. Yeah, but and then they come with ogres or trolls or skeletons or something like that. They come with these big beasts, um, and I would, yeah, I, I think I would, I would have a hard time adding them into a, a deep narrative without other hex with other uh, yeah. other types of hex in the in the exposition that i wrote like they they're very much there and i really enjoyed writing them in and I, they're probably my favorite hag to be honest i really really love them but they to me didn't work without the grand scheme you know yeah of, I, with other hags involved i definitely have a hard time with with three anis hags i think with other hags involved I would reverse the script mm-hmm. and reverse the kind of narrative that you did, and they would be the first one that they encounter. Sure. Okay. It's the Anis Hags who are luring the childrens in and making right. leather. And then from there you find out mm-hmm. there's a there's a different, smarter hag pulling the strings. Because yeah. I don't I don't know for a fact, but I don't see these being particularly intelligent of the creatures. And that's yeah. why they're big and brutish. Now we, I think it now is the perfect time to say it is that not every coven has to be three of the same hag. There's no absolutely no rule around that. 
yeah, absolutely the, zero. I, that right? feels like the pretense to a, yeah. how we establish this little game we're playing. Definitely. So, but I guess I guess maybe the best way would be to uh, think about the Anasag as one, just one of any three, and her imposing physical nature would be an advantage to a degree to whatever coven she for enters. Sure. Yeah, and that's why I would play her as the tank. She's mm-hmm. the first one that you encounter. Yeah, and then you find a real smart green hag pulling the strings, mm-hmm. and then you run into a night hag or something like that. Sure. And the night hag is, you know, the the last arrow in the quiver because it becomes, oh, you killed. The Anasag, I don't really care. You killed the Green Hag, I don't really care. But now I'm targeting you specifically. Right. Yeah. So, but to get a coven of Anasags, I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah, uh, putting three of them together would be would be real. It's, it's real hard to wrap my head around. The only thing I could think of would be if they had some sort of goal to enforce and and support an uprising of larger creatures like trolls and 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 giants. And that yeah. Sort of thing. Or maybe to bring down like a specific regal family. Hmm. Like, really just destroy this one family. He's yeah. got three daughters or three sons. Right, like, yeah. We are going to end your reign. Mm-hmm. But or I, even just a series, like a, a, a much wider family where they have aunts and uncles and cousins. Yeah. And, and there's loads of children involved. And they sort of, as a coven, pull strings from so many different directions that no one really realizes that they're together and, and doing this uh, at the same time via their iron tokens, unless like each one could have up to three going at any given time. Yeah, I guess so, they wouldn't have to be particularly local to be yeah. a coven. You could just yeah. three Ennis hags pulling the strings over a country. Mm-hmm. As as brutal as they are physically, um, they they have probably one of the cooler sort of mechanics when it comes to manipulation of, of their children with the iron token. Yeah, I do love that iron token. Yeah, for I sure. think it's super cool. Okay, Burhag. So these are probably my favorite hags. Mm-hmm. I really like the gray staff. I like the idea of, of the creation of the gray staff. And I feel like a Burhag would probably only create a coven to protect her while she's spending that year in the day building another gray staff. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a great idea. So that's, that's how I would play it. Because you'd kind of nerf one of the three in the encounter, and mm-hmm. then you'd have... The other two at full yeah. power. So you've got. I would. I also. I also imagine like uh, a a Burhag is tr- at a tremendous disadvantage without her gray staff. Right. She's not the creature of her CR without it. No, she loses like so, two thirds of her magic. Right. If, if she were to lose that gray staff, it makes sense. She would form a coven around protecting herself to to create it, like you said. But then once it's created, her next goal, I think, to me, would be very obviously. Making sure, if it's not already done, making sure that whoever destroyed her great staff was punished. And whether that's using the same coven or a, or a new one. I kind of like the idea that she would convince two other hags that her goal is something different while she's you know, recreating a new great staff. And then once it's created, she is, she's done with them. They are, they are simply her pawns and, and her, you know, under her manipulation yeah. as far as she's concerned. And she finds another group or shifts maybe her, her, her narrative for them to help her along in her revenge. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think that's, that's a great second act to that story. Mm. But a night hag then. Night hags to me aren't, I don't treat night hags in my brain like I treat the other hags. Mm-hmm. I treat night hags as assassins. Okay. So I would form a coven of night hags underneath uh, a, a demon lord. So under Baylor, Baylor wants these three high-powered people. He sends these three night hags to go kill them in their sleep, mm-hmm. and it's because the three of them are in a coven that they become extra strong and they they be, they're able to stand up to 
the uh, the CR of the players. So you mentioned Baylor has, has made struck some sort of agreement with each individual one um, to form a coven to, to go kill to be become these assassins, and then they form a coven as a result. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think like so. I, I definitely would not have thought of that. I definitely would have thought. Of that. Now that being said, I kind of shoehorned myself in the exposition, um, specifically choosing Night Hag last as the sort of overarching entity of the story, simply because we, we or or I chose Night Hag to be last because it's the only one that's not a fake creature. Yeah, they are in fact fiends. They are fiends, and that's why I tie them to Baylor or Orcus sure, or yeah. something like that. And there was something really fun about, you know, making myself or forcing myself to be shoehorned in that way. And I had to find a way to make them the top. The way the exposition is written, uh, and I'm sure you, you've heard it now and, and I'm sure you would agree you're editing it, that um, there's a lot left to interpretation. There's a lot of gaps that are meant to be filled by your imagination, and the over that ended up being the case with the night hag, where the overarching goal of those night hags, I don't know. I personally don't know what their goal is. I don't know why they did it, and I kind of like that. I kind of don't want to decide. I kind of, I kind of want to hear if people have an idea. I, I actually would love if listeners, you know, decided enjoyed it. I really hope they enjoy it, the the series of it. Um, I hope it's not too muddled and confusing. But I really hope they understand that there are all those gaps to be filled with your imagination. And I really hope people will actually write in and, and respond and, and give ideas of what, what could have happened in between. You know, that whole fan theory idea. Yeah, take It'll it be really fun, it. you know. And I don't, I don't want to create an ending for that. I don't want to create um, uh, the, the goal uh, of this, you know, these night hags uh, at all. Because I'd I'd love the, the just a discussion just like we're having right now. Yeah, I'd love the idea that we could just spitball it and. Well, I think that's the whole point of this section of the show is is us spitballing ideas, but more importantly, hoping some of the listeners just get just their brain gets on cocaine and yeah. starts firing on all six cylinders. Well, D and D cocaine. Yeah. The blood should be on fire with ideas at the end of the show. That, that that's why we do the show. Well, one would hope so. One would yeah. hope so. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Coven's. That's that's the five hags. Um, Let's let's do another rehash of them, uh, but let's talk about mounts and vehicles this is, and minions and pets. <laughs> this is this was probably one of my favorite parts that we covered. <laughs> in yeah, the show. I, I agree. It is for sure. What um, do you imagine a sea hag uses as a, as a mount, vehicle, minion, or pet? <laughs> uh, so I I think those are all the same thing. Yeah, and, uh, potentially, for, potentially they're all the synonymous. Yeah. No, I mean in, in my scenario, okay, they sure. are all right. the same thing. Mm-hmm. And um, spoilers, I guess, for Ruins of Aslant. Yeah, yeah, Patreon yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not that caught up on it, but go for it. Yeah. Um, it, it it doesn't spoil anything, but it's an idea that was in the show that I love. So this this is ripped right from the Ruins of Aslant mm-hmm. adventure path, and it is a sea hag who has a megalodon. Who she rides? Oh no shit! So it is her pet, it is her familiar, and it is her mount. Cool. So I would, I would just do that, just giant shark straight out of the ph, the back of the PHP, and that Amazing. is that is a sea hag's everything. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea that some of these quote unquote mounts or vehicles are not necessarily creatures or or manipulated manipulated uh, minions. I love. <laughs> I honestly love the idea of. 
green egg or someone just riding around on a tombstone. It's like the silliest. It's the perfect. It's the that perfect is a Hanna Barbera cartoon it's from the, the per- 60s. It is. It's, it's the perfect flavor for a one shot, though. Yeah. It is perfect. You want to do a Halloween one shot? Yeah, she's got pink sunglasses on. Ma- make a party go through a-, a coven of three different hags all riding the most ridiculous shit. Just rewrite Weekend yeah. at Bernie's, yeah. but instead of. That it's it's a green hag riding on a tombstone. Like, uh, just imagine, <laughs> imagine for a second that you've got a sea hag underwater riding an rusty old anchor <laughs> through the water. She's just like just beelining it like it's a jet ski. Like <laughs> it's just like the dumbest thing ever. Or like an old rusted treasure chest or some shit. No, I hear you, man. This is so I've watched every episode of uh, Scooby Doo Where Are You from oh. the sixties. A bunch. It's one of my favorite yeah, shows of all so time. Good. And everything we're talking about uh, from this point on is probably just gonna remind me of that somehow. It's it's perfect. It is it is a lovely idea for just humorous play. Like take a macabre, dark, really uncomfortable creature and make fun of it. And yeah. I love that. I love that. Make it for all for all the family. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. Okay. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, I mean, getting back on track a little bit, I guess sea hags, like, you know, minions and stuff. I, you've mentioned it before, I think, uh, with, uh, on, like an octopus of some kind, yeah. you know, in the lair, um, squid. Uh, I love the idea of them corrupting a dolphin or a whale. I don't think you need to corrupt a dolphin. Well, I mean, anybody do- who knows anything about dolphins knows uh, they're the single shittiest creatures under the sea. They're not nice, but they're extremely. They're intelligent. the only creatures other than humans that have no that are known to kidnap and rape oh, children. Yeah, no, I. I, I There's know. a video I you can this. find on YouTube of a dolphin this. biting the body off a fish and then skull fucking oh, its head. Oh my god! <laughs> That's uh, nature. Nature is metal. I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with that subreddit slash Instagram no. profile. Any, every, anyone and everyone who has the stomach should go what, go look up Nature is Metal. Okay. And it's it's that kind of shit all the time. Not, uh, a, not it's, a Reddit guy. It's but. actually incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I by no means do I want to claim that a dolphin is a kind creature. But they are very intelligent. And I, that's what makes yes. me love the idea of them being corrupted by one of these sea hags. That they could take something that is potentially more intelligent than themselves, but corrupt them through... I don't know if they would do it through a bargain. I don't know if they could bargain necessarily. They do speak Aquan, and I would imagine some maybe to a certain circumstance... They wouldn't have the the intelligence to have a, have a language. Yeah, fair enough. But in any case, a graceful, you know, for all intents and purposes, beautiful and intelligent creature under the sway of a very specifically evil creature... Um, that's pretty much the theme all throughout Hex. Yeah, oh, they keep talking about yeah. corrupting paladins and religious folk. Which is exactly people. why, if we move to Green Hag right now, which is exactly why I went for uh, a giant pig in the exposition. Yeah. Um, you know, not a nature's all, most majestic not being. Not for all intents and purposes, a beautiful creature, but all, but are very kind and intelligent. And, uh, and and cuddly little bastards, or big bastards, if you yeah. will. Um, but, you know, I love that, you know, that it's just yet another target for them. And, you know, I love the idea of, like, you know, just a, a, a 
this green witch riding around on this giant swine and it's just like covered in sores and i'd probably take it in the baba yaga direction and Mm -hmm. instead of a mount they just have a hut that walks around on two chicken legs oh that's awesome you, are you not familiar that. with the Baba Yaga? Not really, no. Okay. no. Yeah, so the main main thing that of a Baba Yaga is they've got a hut that walks around on two chicken legs. That's super cool. Yeah, they're they're insane. I love that. I love that. It reminds me of the Studio Ghibli Howl's Moving Castle. The magic castle that walks around on its... Uh... I'd be very surprised if, if it wasn't related in some shape or form. Yeah, I'm sh- surely influenced. Oh, hey, you're pulling up the picture now. That is so wicked. <laughs> Everyone look up the Baba Yaga hut on Google. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it was a feature in the new Hellboy movie starring David Haber, Mila oh, Jovovich. I've not seen that. Was it good? No, it was terrible. Oh, Don't see that. That's a but, shame. However, there's a feature in it. <laughs> I should have just let Ron Perlman do it again, goddammit. Uh, I don't think it was the actors. I think David Haber was an amazing Hellboy. Okay. I think the movie was garbage All right, around him. Yeah. It, it very clearly suffered a bunch of rewrites. This is not a Hellboy yeah. episode. <laughs> Let's not go down that road. Um, but if, if you're interested in it, uh, there's a YouTube guy, uh, Black Magic Craft, who actually made one out of uh, styrofoam. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm having a hard awesome. time pulling up a picture of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, so, it was really yeah, that, Actually, I think that's awesome. You would do, and you would do it at the Green Hag, specifically? Yeah, I yeah. would do the Baba Yaga this with like the Green Hag. It's like traveling home. Yep. Through her marshes on these big chicken leg things. Oh, that's so great. That's the Baba so Yaga great. also flies around in a mortar wielding a pestle. <laughs> so there's also that. That's so good. Oh, God. I never would have thought of that. That's killing me. That's, that's way better than flying around in the cauldron. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Mortar and pestle. Oh, fuck. <laughs> this is killing me. <laughs> I gotta pee again. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. There was a, we had a quick pause there. Now I'm starting to laugh again. I was, about to say, I was literally going to say, now that I've regained my composure. <laughs> but I obviously have not. <laughs> Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, Mounds, Beagles, Minions, Pets for the Anis Hag. Well, I, one of the obvious, it was very obvious when we covered it, uh, larger creatures, they, they are, what were they called? Tribe mothers. Tribe mothers, yeah. Where they, you know, they'll, they'll rope in ogres and probably Ettons as well, definitely trolls. Yeah. I'm... You know what? You take this one. What, what do you think for minions? I, I, I have some really good ideas, but I think I'm going to break yeah. you again. I, I, <laughs> perfect. I can't wait. I feel like giddy tonight. Uh, I love I love the idea that they dominate these larger creatures, creatures that are probably larger and more powerful than themselves on a physical level. Um, and but I really love. I remember when we covered it that they would they would do it through you know physical abuse, but sometimes like it was actually verbal abuse. They yeah. would just like bully them and I love the idea that they are more intelligent if not extraordinarily intelligent creatures more intelligent than these ones and they they know how to like hit those buttons and put them in their place and keep them in line I I do like the idea that maybe they would be able to do it you know to a hill giant as well and adding to that list Um, but I feel like it would almost always have to be some sort of creature that is just large Physically effective, but 
not just not smart, willing to submit gotcha. to bullying. So uh, things in the giant category really fall under that. Yeah, big time. I, I guess maybe to a degree they, they would be able to maybe dominate like a, a tribe of orcs or something as well. Something the creatures that are really hyper aggressive. Yeah, I, I don't think too much about more their along actions. The lines of trolls. Yeah, trolls for sure. Yeah. For sure, trolls. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Uh, beyond that, I, I don't think I thought about it too much. Uh, in the lore, there were, there was definitely reference to like the Cairn stones in their in their environments and the lairs and uh, how some of them may be, might be haunted by uh, wraiths or some or a banshee or a series of skeletons something like that. But I, I feel like that's more their influence of presence rather than their their direct influence themselves of themselves. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I've I've always thought of like the boulette as being a, a great creature to pair with one of these hags. They're they're fairly low CR, uh, sitting at five, mm-hmm. uh, and they're a mountainous creature. They're mountainous, with, okay. Yeah, with a burrow speed. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they could be a great one. Um, but initially, I was thinking there there's a passage in the D in Volo's Guide to Monsters where it talks about a hag manipulating a paladin to the point of humiliation. Mm-hmm. And the paladin's humiliation was that the hag rode it around on its shoulders. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> so I love the idea of this hag like bullying a venom troll into like riding her around on like piggyback on this venom troll. Yeah. <laughs> but then I immediately was like, no, I don't think that's it. I, my Anis hag would ride around on an awakened shrub. Like, oh, wait. oh yeah. Just, just oh. this fucking little cherry shrub running around oh. with the hag just, just sitting on it. Just That'd like a potted so plant with good. legs, or like even just a couple of them, like they, where their their heads yeah. form like some sort of cushy bush. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all have to <laughs> they all have to run in tandem while she just like straddles it in, in comfort. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's so great. So that's that's definitely how I would <laughs> the visuals, the visuals. Yeah, and just a couple of yeah. couple of large trolls fanning her as they walk. Yeah. <laughs> What about the burr hag then? I, in the exposition, I, I very obviously uh, made her accompanied with a yeti or an abominable, abominable yeti in this case. Yeah. But uh, I, I didn't necessarily want to specify that it was any sort of mount. Definitely a minion of some kind. So the burr hag's weird because she kind of comes in with with a built-in mount. So the gray staff has the broom of flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never right. really thought about her having her needing a mount because mm-hmm. her magic weapon counts as a mount. Sure, but minions are you know and pets. Yeah. Sort of thing. So I've I really thought about the burhag in a different direction because there isn't a whole lot of snow based creatures that I can think of. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what what happens at the top of mountains? What do you get up there? You get a lot of howling winds. So I thought about stuff like a snow owl, like a wind elemental, mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff. And I would, I think I would take it in that direction. Yeah, it's, it, you have to be careful about, about not accidentally discounting those small creatures. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like a green hag would clearly take advantage of, of many forest and swamp type creatures, like a frog, a toad, or a crow. Or I, sort it, of, I would totally know. pair a green hag with a frog hemoth. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah that, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Uh, so I like that. Like a, a snow owl would be great. Uh, f- some sort of frost wolf, if you will. Yeah, just uh, a regular dire wolf. wolf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a frost wolf. Gotcha. <laughs> so this is what he's that, talking about know, is I a think, CR5 think, hellhound think, with its breath weapon reskinned to ice. 
I think I just accidentally hit like a a, a World of Warcraft chord in, in the back of my head there. The Frost Wolves. The Frost Wolf. Like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. no, I, I love in, that. In real life, yeah. it's called a Timber Wolf. The snake Eyes from GI Joe had one. What about a fox or or you know any any series of of Arctic. Um, you know, an earth sign like a polar bear, yeah, or, or even they have, know, a lynx or a cougar. Yeah, they have all those you know, feline sort stuff of creatures that you yeah. can easily reskin in yeah. the back of the PHP there. Yeah. A vulpine, even like that. This, yeah, that'd be super cool. Just for all intents and purposes, mundane animals that that really know how to scavenge and survive in, in a harsh yeah. environment, but they are they are very much the minions of. Or a, you could take a ghoul. And give it a couple of barbarian traits and reskin it as like a frozen berserker. Oh yeah, or a white. Yeah, um, or I a mean, revenant. Yeah, yeah. I, I think of, I think of Skyrim almost right away, like with the Draugr and Skyrim. I don't know if you've played that game, but the Draugr, it's like very Norse themed uh, sort of RPG. You know, the Elder Scrolls has a wide. Yeah, I've, I've played all of them, but Skyrim. Yeah, and so it's yeah. The, in Skyrim, it's it's very Norse themed. It's very Nordic. They have jarls that govern the lands and that sort of thing, and uh, and you encounter a lot of Draugr, which are just very, very white. Uh, in my opinion, very white based creatures. Okay. Um, whites, uh, W I G H T. By the way, in case anyone's misinterpreting that. Very I don't. I don't think they are white based creatures. <laughs> I mean, we are talking about Norse mythology. Yes, we are. <laughs> Everything's white, including the lands. Uh, but yeah, uh, I love that. Uh, yeah, yeah, undead creatures. <laughs> I'm out of control. Oh, I'm man. so overtired. <laughs> this is ridiculous. We're, 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 this is our second part of Night Hags. We had to break this up into two recordings. And it is getting very late at night. Oh, it's getting late at night. I was very... We were both out for dinner and drinks the night before. I had to work first thing this morning and all day long and came straight here from there. It's just like... I reorganized my desk like a grown-up. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, well, then Night Hags. Let's go Night Hags. Like, These creatures are fiends. Yeah. I don't know much about the Lower Plains, to be honest. What I don't sort even of know creatures? if I would give them Lower Plains creatures. Yeah, no, okay. I probably, like, the first thing that comes to mind are quicklings. They're like little oh, yeah. uh, little creatures from the Shadowfell who are yeah. like um, like elven, like Christmas elf assassins. Well, we've talked about them before. Like they, they fall right into that tiny phase. Oh, yeah. Sorry, not quicklings. Darklings. Oh, darklings. Oh, yeah. dark. Yeah, okay. Yeah, from but the Shadowfell. Still, still fall into the same yeah. sort of category of quicklings, pixies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they are fae, but they're, they're yeah. from the Shadowfell. So I think it probably lean heavily on that. But, I mean, imps are great. Imps are fucking great. And mm. I don't think methods get nearly enough play. Yeah. Especially for something like a CR7. Like, methods can speak. They're intelligent. Oh, yeah. So I would I would just break the toy box open for night hags, you know, mephits, imps, shadows, uh, animated armor, um, mm. anything that doesn't have a body. I think because night hags speak real and corporeal to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd go ghosts so much, but definitely like I think a shadow would be a real cool one. Like yeah. that was that was the person's bargain is that they fell prey to the night hag and they became a living shadow under her control. Yeah. Stuff like that, it'd be a lot of fun. I feel like I feel like I, I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but if if there are other creatures that have a similar influence on sleep and the ethereal plane and that sort of thing, uh, that's what I would pair with them. Not necessarily as a mount or vehicle, okay. but definitely as a minion. They would sort of be uh, with their ability to to cross over to the ethereal plane so almost so freely. 
and invade dreams as such, I feel like they would take advantage of. Uh, There's got to be that, something. There's got to be something. Off the top of my head, I, I can't can't couldn't name one though. Uh, yeah, I can't I can't call one to mind either. I don't play a whole mm. lot in the dream world, but there there are definitely creatures who can who have like a serial step. And Surely, stuff. listeners. Write us in to give us some ideas of, of what you know. Gently, <laughs> be kind, be kind, and rewind. What a terrible movie! <laughs> um, now, how about now? This is this one's less specific. I think you know, running down the list of hags. What about weird magic? What sort of weird magic ideas would you come up with? Uh, well, we discussed it last time. You yeah. thought it almost all in, almost always in, and entirely, you know, was reflected in a sort of charm element, is what you had said. Yeah, either that or it's like a big ritualistic magic, like mm-hmm. to bring somebody back from the dead to, I don't know, uh, maybe cast a wish or something like yeah. that. Like there's yeah. weird, weird magic is essentially anytime they, they really manipulate magic. Mm-hmm. So putting it into play for unprescribed uses is really what it seems to be. And there, there's no limits in the DMG to this, really, except for your imagination. Mm-hmm. So I, I would probably use weird magic as exclusively like a summoner's charm. Like bring right. something to them that they want. It doesn't have to be a creature. It could be an item from the PCs or better yet, they use weird magic to get an item that they're going to give the PCs. Mm-hmm. Or just sell to the blacksmith and manipulate the blacksmith into selling to the PCs. And it's this okay. cursed axe or hammer or something right. like that that okay. one of the PCs sure. picks up. And yeah. every time they, they don't strike with it, they lose a hit die or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, Weird Magic, I, I was, when I was reading about it, I really I, I took to it. I thought, um, I loved the idea that it was so, you really had, like, if you could embrace your macabre imagination... You could create just any sort of brutal object and then just give it whatever effect you want. And the exposition, you know, I describe, I believe it's, you know, still within the sea hag, green hag uh, part where the green hag procures a heart, a human heart that is pierced with an insurmountable amount of, insurmountable amount of, that's not right. Uh, (laughs) A large, extremely large amount of porcupine needles. Stabbed through it, you know, just quills, uh, I believe. Quills, those, those are the ones. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know why that came to mind. I don't know why I pictured that. that maybe it's actually in Volo's guide somewhere that it influenced me. But and then, what does it do? But in that moment, what it does is she throws it into the, into the cauldron that's already in that setting in, the, in that room of that description, and and she goes up in a cloud of smoke along with okay. Twiggy and and the the giant pig. So um, it's dimension door. Yes, I didn't. Or really... would you not? Would you not like? Well, that's hack it down into that box. Yeah, that's what I love about your magic is it's it's specifically supposed to be a once use, extremely out of the norm. Only the hag can do it. It's almost impossible to reproduce. They go way out of their way to find a way to do this one trick. Yeah, I like know? that. But and in the DMG, every example they list, they give, or not DMG in Volos, every example they give, they link it to a spell or something that's already totally. in the box. But I, I, so I, would you just I let just, that go? I decided to not. Yeah, okay. I, re- I really went uh, left field with it. And I thought, you know, this, this to me is a, a really great, if 
arguably unfair moment where you you just forgo mechanics and you say nope you don't you don't get the chance to to, to take down this green hag as well as the sea hags you know okay. maybe that party is you know just fighting these two sea hags in a coven even though they don't know it uh, might have really you know uh, uh, worn them down but I love the idea that it's just like this moment where everything is revealed they they they, they have victory and then you know auntie mudgums pops up and she's like Nope. Pulls this thing out, throws it in, has a cackle or something, and gone. And then that's when the PCs go, shit, this is not over. You know? Yeah. And that, that's 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 how I wanted to use weird magic. Okay. And and through the exposition as well, I re-employ it. I think I I think I mentioned it before. Um and it's it's very much in the background of the exposition, but the night hags that they are slowly moving towards through the whole story. Um uh, have been employing their own weird magic that utilizes the lair actions of other hags. Where it's actually a spoiler alert. <laughs> it's, a, it's a total spoiler alert right now because it, you, at the end of this episode, it's it's going to pop up. But like, yeah, that 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 you know, I guess that's uh, hopefully make it a little more more clear when when you hear my yeah. narration of it. But that that was sort of the purpose. Like they 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 actually use uh, pieces or parts. Of, or, or items that are related to other types of hags to recreate lair actions. Uh, and it's referenced in narrative that I've, you know, uh, that we've recorded previous to this episode and, and we'll uh, repeat again uh, at the end of this episode. And that was like a, a really cool, I thought it was a really cool way of approaching it. It's something I really, really enjoyed. It was like, how, how can I make a night hag do what a green hag can do in her lair yeah you know no i like that i think that's a great use i think mm. throwing the rule book out sometimes is the right way to go and as dungeon masters it the situations that we're presented with every minute of every game is that uh well i'm not prepared for this so <laughs> fuck it this is what's happening and uh, yeah, weird magic sure. is a great way to yeah, yeah. to explain and exploit that yeah i, I and when i was doing the research and we were both doing the research we we both you know uh, established and discussed on on this on these episodes that the lair actions were lacking almost entirely. And yeah, I still don't have anything to put that against. I haven't really yeah. gone into like the mummy's lair action. Or sure, the dragons, yeah. but but it's got to be you know, better they, than this. They didn't feel they didn't feel substantial. No, but uh, it did kind of make it more fun for myself when I was like, how can I make the lair action of one hag work for another? You know, and it just gave got my my sort of juices, my creative juices, you know, sort of boiling up. If yeah, you will. I like that. I think that's great. I personally flock more to like charms, and here are one-off casts of spells. Mm-hmm. So like mirror image or misty step or something like that. I, I I like I like playing a tactical game, so stuff like that really factors into the way I play combats. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly trying to get the upper hand. I don't know right. if we've mentioned it on here before, but I have a party of three fighters and a cleric. <laughs> so every one of them can stand yeah. and bang, and it's it's very it's very yeah. challenging to come up with challenging encounters yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. Um, not that every encounter has to be challenging, but every encounter yeah. should at least be fun for everybody. You know, the last time we played, I was I I I just dove straight in into into that combat, and I was desperately trying to find on my side. I think I was trying to find that that. Uh, that moment where I could really utilize the skills that I have, but I couldn't. But what I really did was took a b- 
boatload of damage. Yeah, you took a beating. <laughs> I took a beating. But I was still okay. Yeah. I was still absolutely okay. Yeah, everybody in that combat too. Yeah. Oh, I guess I have a three fighters, a cleric, and a sorcerer. <laughs> yeah, you do have that Sorcerer. Lee Sorcerer saved the day more times than I can count at this point. Ridiculous. He's killing it. He just waits till the last two rounds of combat and just comes in and murders everything. wrecks the place. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. All right. Well, how about treasures? What sort of treasures do you imagine? I don't. I don't think hags have treasures. Okay. I think they have things that could be treasures with something like a remove curse spell. Mm -hmm. But I cannot for the life of me think of a hag who's this selfish and this manipulative. (laughs) (laughs) This selfish and this manipulative who would have something amazing and shiny like a plus two great axe and not bestow a curse on it. Yeah, not... I couldn't agree more. Uh, like the I, head is just too heavy. I did love heavy. the idea that in, in Volo's guide, I think it's described where you know they will they have this sort of disorganized mess to the, and method to their madness where you'll you'll walk into their lair and it's just littered with loads of stuff. Yeah. But the hag is the only one only creature that knows exactly where the important items are. Exactly. In these crazy piles of nonsense. But, like, what are those important items exactly? What, why on earth do they have them? I guess, you know, to a degree, they might use uh, something that gives them the ability to scry or detect magic or something like that if they don't already have that innate ability. But, you know, you're looking at an Anis Hag who already has this these iron tokens. You're a Night Hag who has the Soul Bag and the Heartstone uh, and the ability to invade people's dreams. To, to me, the Heartstone is the real treasure. That's the one. For like, sure, yeah. We discuss that. Like, just touching it will cure a disease. Yeah, because their desire isn't to become rich and famous. It's not, no, to, it's not, not to acquire well. wealth. Yeah. It's to hurt people. Yeah. And the best way to hurt people is to find something people want mm-hmm. and to taint it. Yeah. Now, that's also such a great hook, right? Because what I think the reason there probably is a, a section dedicated, if not a large section dedicated to, to Hags in regards to treasure, you really do want to reward your players. Absolutely. But the beauty of Hags is that even even after their death, there's some sort of downside to whatever bargain. Yeah, you and know? there's a whole lot of great cursed items out there, and yeah. I think this is the perfect place to utilize them. I don't think cursed items are used enough. Yeah, I, I, I don't hear a lot about it. I just backed a book on Kickstarter um, that's that's a bunch of cursed items. I've got a couple cursed items in a deck that I have in the, in the drawer, and I have a couple of PDFs, and there's a very small section in the DMG, but... Mm-hmm. I think this is the place. Like yeah. this is just hurt your players through this. Like, mm-hmm. All of the rewards, and then once they attune, mm, not so much. <laughs> okay, I think that's going to do it for us this week. If you like what you heard, you can feel free to throw us some shekels at Patreon.com/slash/EncounterThisPod. If you've got any long-form stories you want to throw our way, feel free to email us at info@EncounterThis.ca. And if you've got any short-form stories or you want to tweet at us, you can get at us at in, at EncounterPod. If you want to see any of the shitty minis that I've painted, you can find me at Cobra Viper J. And Freeman doesn't have a Twitter, but he will happily answer all of your emails that are addressed to him or no one in particular. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Easy. Yeah. I'll even pretend not to be me if, you, if that's what you require. So thank you for listening this week. Uh, next week, two weeks, two weeks from now. Sometime mid-February, we're going to be dropping our next episode, which will return to the regular format, which is Rakshasas. Rakshasas, yeah. Rakshasas. Rakshasas, yeah. We had a hard time with that one for a while. I think we've, we've nailed that. Yeah. yeah. 
I think it was Rakshasa. 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 Rakshasa, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to doing that one for sure. And, and back to the regular format. This has been quite the quite the uh, yeah. It's project. been quite the project, but yeah. it's it's been fun. I'm I'm really glad we did this and we we learned that we can do it. And maybe we'll do it again in the future. We're uh, we're toying around with the idea of doing April and Orktober. Orktober. So hit us <laughs> up. <Or> October. <laughs> hit, hit us up on Twitter if you like the sounds of either of those. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll let you get back to it. I guess. Thanks, creatures. Thanks, creatures. Um, and from there, we're going to shift it over to James with the real-life Haglor. No, we are not. <laughs> right now. Do it. Just make it up on the spot. Hags. Am. Tastic. Darkness. But not complete. Everything is black and for all intents, purposes, and especially senses, gone all accepting less than a handful of things. For one, you can see yourself, well, your own arms and legs and such from your own point of view. For two, you can see your companions. And for three, you see three identical creatures of purest evil standing before you. Otherwise, it's as if you're standing in a room stained with the blackest inks and dyes so as to absorb all natural light. Nothing makes sense about it, but the stark contrast of nothingness backdropping these ugly demons makes every detail that much more abhorrently impossible to not see. Their skin wrinkled and furrowed into every shade of sickly purple. Their long matted hair tied back in clumpy messes, befouled robes of which it is impossible to tell the original color. It is also nearly impossible to tell these creatures apart but one of this trio does stand out. She's holding in one hand a black stone that lets off the occasional glint of a crimson hue. In the other, a black sack with some sort of design that's hard to make out. What face is that upon the sack? You all start at Sir Dudley's sudden words. You've reason to be jumpy around him, though he has proved himself again to be a reliable comrade since his unhinging, shall we call it. Posey, you move forward the smallest bit and peer at the bag as best you can. Indeed, the design is not a design at all, but the flayed and stretched face of a man. And you recognize it. It's Reginald Craycatcher. This is where it dawns on you that even more is amiss. Though this set of wicked sisters is not entirely motionless, they remain standing still as if wholly unperturbed. For now, at least, you have a moment. You're not sure why, but you suspect the puzzle you solved earlier had some sort of effect after all. What do you want to do? Badger will roll in an arcana check to try and understand the black bag and the black gem. All right, roll him up. But as you do, two of the hags suddenly go to move. One pulls at a burr's gray staff. At one time broken, it is mended with what appears to be a yeti's hide. She snaps it in half again. The other draws a jar with the head of a green hag inside and pries the lid off. Loud screams spew from the opening. She spills its rotten contents on the floor and smashes the jar. A blizzard quickly forms around you, and just as it starts to completely obscure your vision, you see quadruplets where triplets once stood. Despite all of this, it's a surprise round. Roll for initiative. 